0: following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to the 27th Psalm. So Psalm 27. And as you turn there, uh, I want to do some preparation work so that our hearts and minds are ready to receive the truth that we're going to encounter in this psalm today. Uh, If if you're new around here, you may realize based on the video at the beginning and where we are in the scriptures, we are working through uh, the book of psalms. We normally do uh, a few a year uh, and and continue just kind of working our way through the entire psalter that way. So uh, what what I'd like to do today is, is start with a question. In this attempt to prepare our hearts and minds. So here's the question What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Did, here's another question Did you know that the most common command in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is fear not? Those words put together fear not. And Almost all the time when you see those words, fear not, they're accompanied by an encouragement. Either fear not for I am God, or fear not for I am with you. And so the numerically, the most common command in the scriptures is fear not, and it is almost always accompanied by either an encouragement of God's character, for I am God, or God's promise to be with you. And that is a a real key to understanding what it means to follow God broadly. And so, the question, the next question, I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but questions are good for us. Why do you think this command is so prevalent in the scriptures? There's many things that could have been the most prevalent numerically command in the scriptures, but this idea of fear not, this command to fear not, it's over and over and over again. Some have said, I haven't counted exactly, but some have said there's 365 times or so where the Bible says fear not, one for each day. It's, it's somewhere in that neighborhood, for sure, as far as how often you see this idea. So why do you think it's so prevalent? I'm going to give you at least my thoughts on the idea Uh, I'm not alone in this Hebrews 11 tells us without faith it is impossible to please God and there is a very real sense in which fear is faith stolen from God and given to the devil yeah it's better than they acted like it was isn't it That's that's a good word. It's a sharp word. I'll I'll soften it. Give me a second. I wanted that to poke you. It should. Fear is faith stolen from God and given to the devil. Now, I want to make sure I say this. I'm not talking about the physiological or adrenal response in our bodies that God designed us with to avoid some real imminent danger. Okay? Okay. Uh, you know, if, if you're hiking somewhere and a mountain lion starts bounding down the mountain, God designed your body to dump a bunch of adrenaline so you can run faster than normal, okay? That's, that's not what I'm talking about, all right? That's a good thing. I'm glad God did that. He's really smart. I need mountain lion adrenal juice for sure, okay, because I'm not that fast, so uh, I need help. Uh, what I'm talking about is the fears that plague our hearts and minds on a consistent basis, Often masquerading as virtues like wisdom or camouflaging to the degree that we don't even realize they are influencing our thoughts and actions. Those are the fears that I'm talking about. I think those are the fears the Bible is commanding us to not operate by. Now, I, I, I could understand that some of you might think calling fear faith in the devil, that that might be too bold of a statement. But I want us to consider how Peter described that ancient liar. Let's think about this together. If you go to 1 Peter 5, verse 8, I'm not saying turn there, but Peter said this, that the devil goes around like a roaring lion. He said, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the way the New American Standard Bible says it. Some translations say, seeking whom he may devour. I think that language gets to the heart of of what it's saying in a helpful way. Seeking whom he may devour. Why does he go around roaring seeking whom he may devour? Because the roar shows him who he can devour. It's it's the lies of the devil. It's the fear-inducing deception of our ancient adversary that will alert him to who's going to respond to that, who's... Here's the question. When the lion roars, are you going to have faith in what that sound is saying or are you going to have faith in what God has said? And to respond in fear is really to take the faith that God alone deserves and give it to our adversary. Now, let's say this. We may have faith in God directing our thoughts and actions in some things and fear... Directing our thoughts and actions in others. This is not an uh, all or nothing situation. There may be some areas and circumstances of your life where you are very confident in what, in what God has said on the matter, and you're operating in faith as a result. But there may also be some other places where your faith is not placed in what God has said about it, and you've been overcome by the deceptions and the lies of the enemy. You put more faith in that than what God has said. There's a promise of God a truth from God and his word to address every situation and circumstance that we could ever encounter in this world. You might say, what, really? Well, even if you don't have some specific, you might say, okay, well, I got bullied on the internet. The Bible doesn't say the Lord will help me when I'm bullied on the internet. No, but he did say, fear not, I am with you. Fear not, I am God. If all you had was those two, that really covers the gamut of what is possible to have to try to struggle through in this sin-broken world. Now there are more specific promises that God has given in his great grace to us, but if all he ever told us is fear not, I'm God, and fear not because I'm with you, we'd really be covered. It's only in his grace and mercy to us that he expounds oftentimes on on what that means in particulars, which I'm thankful he does. That's helpful. Because sometimes it's hard for us to connect the dot between God's promise of being the mighty one who cannot be challenged in his sovereignty, and that he's with us, sometimes it's hard for me to connect the dot between those truths and how it applies to whatever I'm struggling with. And that's what I need the help of the Holy Spirit for every single day. Lord, how do your promises put, bring, bring a death knell to whatever roar or lie it is I'm tempted to believe right now, that I'm tempted to capitulate to even, not just believe it, but act on it? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And and we have the promise of that help from the Holy Spirit. And part of the war that we are called to wage as followers of Jesus is to hunt down and put fear to death and to help others to do the same. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Psalm 27 can really help us with this fight. And so that's, some of the, that's what I'm saying, we want to get some preparatory work in place, some groundwork laid so that as we read this psalm together, we, we understand what we're looking for. One other thing is when I said that fear not is the most prevalent command in the scriptures, some of you that know your Bible, you may have been thinking, well, I thought the greatest commandment was to love God and love people. I thought somebody asked Jesus about that, didn't they? And, If you thought that, you are right. Jesus did clearly teach the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest commandment. Jesus taught that that's the greatest commandment. And here's what's interesting. These two commandments, the most prevalent numerical commandment, fear not, and the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God and love people as well, those two commandments actually dovetail and interplay with one another in a very profound way that sometimes I think we miss. Okay? <clears throat> Let me read you this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Here's the thing taking the time for us to answer some of the questions we've asked ourselves this morning, to assess honestly what we fear, that is a great tool for diagnosing our hearts. Because what we fear most can reveal what we love most. Here's, what do I mean by that? I could probably spend the rest of the sermon just giving you examples, specifics about this, but I'm going to give you a few and then let you take that truth and apply it to yourself in this kind of assessment process that we're being encouraged towards here. If you love money, you will fear poverty or hard economic times. And you probably will not be generous as the Bible commands. If you love the body, you will fear aging and the physical decline that it brings. If you love the approval of others, you will fear failure and oftentimes feel paralyzed as a result. If you love this life in this world, you will fear death. When in reality, this for Christians is the doorway to our true and eternal destiny. Those are just some examples of how we can trace backwards. As we assess what we fear, we can actually trace that backwards to our heart and find out what we love and what we may love more than the God who loves us perfect love casts out fear. If we believe in God's perfect love for us and we love him most of all in return, the temptation and power of fear in our lives is greatly diminished. God wants you free from fear and the destruction it causes because he does love you, friend. He does. And for some of us, the, the paralyzing effects of fear are primarily because we've not yet been convinced of that great and simple truth, that God does love us. He does love you. So my prayer today is that we will get at least a glimpse through Psalm 27 of the path to the freedom that God desires for each of us. That brings us to the psalm. Let's read this psalm together. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses should be on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible... We have some, and we'd really like to give you one. Let us know at the end of the service. This is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. And be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. And such as breathe out violence, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Praise God for his word. Let's come back to verse one, and we're going to work our way with the help of the Holy Spirit through this psalm together. Verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's big talk. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The inference there being nobody, right? That's really what he's saying. Another question. Remember, Man, isn't that enough questions? I'll probably ask you some more before this is all said and done, so buckle up. Here's another question. Do you, dear Christian, struggle with boldness and confidence? Do you struggle with boldness and confidence? Some of us struggle to be bold and confident simply because fear and cowardice is calling the shots in our lives. That's true. But sometimes it's because we struggle to square boldness with humility, We know that the Bible calls us to be humble. We know the Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It can be very hard for us to see how I can be bold and confident and yet humble. It seems sometimes as if those things cannot go together. And probably why we have such a hard time with that is that much of the confidence we encounter in the world around us is self-confidence, something that many people champion as a key to happiness and success. You can pick up almost any magazine at the, at the checkout at, at uh, the grocery store, or look up an article on how can I be happy, read a book by a self-proclaimed uh, self-help guru, and you're going to probably find something in there telling you that what you need is more self-confidence. That's part of why you're so sad and bummed and you have no boldness in your life. That's, that's the problem. However, what we see here through the psalmist, is not self-confidence. That's not what this is. <clears throat> this, is this is not confidence in self that David's talking about. It's confidence in God. Now, most of the time, if someone says, you, you hear somebody say, I'm not afraid of anybody. Most of the time when they say that, it's because they think they are really tough. They think they're either very mentally tough, or they're physically tough, or both. And if you hear someone on average say, I'm not afraid of anybody, that it's, they're trusting in their own toughness in whatever way they perceive that to be. Here's the thing. Here's something you need to know is true. Anyone who believes they are invincible in their own strength just hasn't been hit hard enough yet. That's true. And this guy's not a prophet, but Mike Tyson, one of the toughest boxers to ever fight in the ring, used to say, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And Iron Mike probably thought he was invincible. He had 37 undefeated fights in his career. Many thought no one could ever beat him. He may have thought that himself then he had his first professional loss to a guy named Buster Douglas. And he found out even Iron Mike is not invincible in his own strength. The bold and fearless statements that David is making here, they are not about his strength, but God's. Is that not true? It doesn't say, I am strong and courageous. Whom shall I fear? Does it? It says, the Lord is my light And my salvation. Something interesting that you can check later. You'll find out I'm right. This is the first time the Lord is directly compared to light in the scriptures. Something that we find later to be a a really important theme as Jesus is self-proclaimed the light of the world. And so that's just interesting to know. Uh, But these bold and fearless statements David is making, they're not about his strength. They're about God's strength. And this, having boldness and confidence in God's strength, this is, a, this is a real key to happiness and joy and success. And when I say success, I mean at least a biblical definition of success. I could probably side trail and end up in, in a, a bunch of other stuff that I probably don't have time for. But if, if you want to think more later about what a biblical definition of success would be, Come talk to me, or we'll put that maybe in the discussion topics for community group this week. Uh, But you you want to talk about a real key to happiness and joy and success in this life? Uh, Boldness and fearlessness as a result of who God is, his strength, his faithfulness. That's that's a real key to being able to live with the kind of confidence God actually wants you to, and to not be plagued by constant fear. Let's look at verse 2. When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Here we see another major key to living free from the tyranny of fear is remembering God's faithfulness in the past. That's really what David's doing here. He's talking about a time adversaries came against him and their intention was to, he says, eat his flesh, to, to, to defeat him, to decimate him, and they ended up laying on their back. And I would say, common, many commentators agree, there is a really good chance verse 2 is a reference to a very famous battle recorded in 1 Samuel 17. If You don't even have to be a student of the Bible to probably have at least heard reference to the fight between David and Goliath. And the principle here we're talking about, this kind of second key to being able to Live a life free of fear. It's this is so important. This idea of remembering God's faithfulness in the past that I I, I want to just I want to take the time to read a, a fairly good chunk of that chapter because most of us think we know the story of David and Goliath and maybe maybe we do but I, I want to read it and and read it in light of why we're reading it why why when when David is talking about. Freedom from fear and he's making this bold statement about how much God can be trusted. Why does why does he bring up this occasion where evil evildoers came upon him to devour his flesh and they ended up stumbling and falling? Let's let's look at this together. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna read this to you. It's not the entirety of the chapter, but it's, it's a, a decent excerpt of 1 Samuel 17, all right? Saul and the men of Israel were assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle formation to confront the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on the mountain on one side, while Israel was standing on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came forward from the army encampment of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits in a span. Most people would say that's a little over nine feet. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Works out to roughly 125 pounds of armor. He had, a, he had bronze uh, greaves on, on, on his legs and a bronze saber slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. Roughly 15 pounds. So most spears, if you think, I mean, the, the, the head of a spear typically probably weighed not even a pound. We got, we got a guy that's so big... He can throw a 15-pound spear. Okay? Uh, he, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle formation? Am I, am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man as your representative have him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And then the Philistines said... I have defied the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the the words of this Philistine, they were dismayed and very fearful. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, the man whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who had gone into the battle were Eliab the firstborn, the second to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. So David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flocks at Bethlehem. And the Philistine came forward morning and evening and took his stand for 40 days. Forty days this guy came out, challenged the armies of God, cursed God, and nobody stood up. Then Jesse said to his son David, "'Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to your brothers.' Bring also these 10 slices of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the well being of your brothers and bring back confirmation from them. I already like Jesse sending cheese to the battle. I don't know what anybody else would send. I just feel like this guy knows what's up, honestly. Jesse's my guy, all right? For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with the keeper, took the supplies, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the entrenchment, encircling the camp, while the army was going out in battle formation, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle formation, army against army. Then David left the baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. And he entered and greeted his brothers. As he was speaking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words, and David heard him. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were very fearful. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will make the man who kills him wealthy with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David said to the men who were standing by him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and rids Israel of the dis- disgrace? He's like, Hold on, what'd you say? For for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he has dared to defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in agreement with his statement, saying, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When the words that David spoke were heard, they informed Saul, this is the king, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, May no one's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight him, for you are only a youth." And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. Now remember, why did I bring you here? Because we're in Psalm 27. He is talking about God's faithfulness. He said, there was a time when enemies tried to come and they thought they were going to consume my flesh. They ended up on their backs. Now we went to that story. And now I'm about to read you what David said to Saul when Saul said, bro, you can't do this. You're too little. Here's what he said, when a lion or a bear came and took a sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of this Philistine. The principle we're talking about of how we live, not slaves to fear, is to remember God's faithfulness in the past. We're up up into this Psalm 27 removed from this event by by a while, but I'm telling you, he's remembering in the Psalm this event, and the way he stepped up to this event was remembering God's faithfulness in the past. The reason he had no fear of the Philistine giant was because this guy grabbed a lion and a bear out in the wilderness, and who did he say? Did, Did he say... I'm a really good fighter. I can kill lions and bears with my hands. I'm really tough, Saul. Don't worry about it. What did he say? The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. (laughs) Then Saul clothed David with his military attire, put a bronze helmet on his head, outfitted him with armor, and David Strapped on his sword over his military attire and struggled at walking, for he had not trained with the armor. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these because I have not trained with them. David took them off, he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had that is, his shepherd's pouch and his sling was in his hand. And he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he was contemptuous of him for he was only a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. To try to help people's imaginations, 20 years ago or so when I would have first preached this, I would have said, imagine Jonathan Taylor Thomas running out to fight the Philistine giant. Now, based on your giggles, I can tell how old you are. If you didn't laugh at that, it's because you were probably born in the 90s or the 2000s. And those of us that did laugh at that are jealous. That, and we're upset that we know who Jonathan Taylor Thomas is. So who, I need, I'm, now I need the help of the young people. Who is the teen heartthrob now? Go ahead, yell out a name. Anybody know? All of you only read your Bible. You don't know anything about what's going on in, in common culture. Is it Zach Ephron? Does that, is that work? for? That's, too, that's still old? Am I still? Who is it? Say it again. Tom Holland. Is that Spider-Man? Okay, so imagine Tom Holland running out to fight the Philistine giant. That's about what we got going on here. Okay? That's good. He's skinny too, isn't he? That's good. Yeah. Okay. Maybe 10 years ago, I could have said Zach Ephron. Would that have been right? Okay, so now we're on to Tom Holland. In 10 more years, I'm going to need the help of all the kids and kids' discipleship to tell me who my new example should be. I can't keep up. All right, so... The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild animals. That's why we think in Psalm 27 David is remembering this. But David said to the Philistine... You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know. So all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. That's boldness. That's confidence. But it was not self-confidence. Then it happened. When the Philistine came closer to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand into his bag, took from it a stone and slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead and the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Everybody knew there's a God in Israel that day. There's only one way that goes down. It's when God fights battles for us. And you, you will, putting your confidence in God, you will never be embarrassed. You will never be disappointed. Now, there's also a forward-looking connection to Jesus in this verse. And I think it's really worth noting as we are building our confidence today in the power and faithfulness of God. That's a big, I want you to leave out of here less susceptible to fear than you came in by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the anointing of God's Word. And I just want you to, some of the power of God is evident even in how much his scriptures tie together. So we David in Psalm 27 saying, "There was a time someone thought they were they were going to get my flesh. Well, guess what? I got theirs, and it was because of God. So he was looking back, but also David didn't know that there was really something looking forward in this, or something prophetic to this. If you go to John 18, this is the betrayal of Jesus in the garden. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons." So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They came with weapons thinking they were going to get a piece of Jesus. And ultimately, they did because he let them, because it was a part of God's plan of redemption. But as Jesus declares, I am he, there was a supernatural power in Christ saying that, these guys ended up on their backs. They had to get get up, dust themselves off. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised they had the guts to go through with it after that. (laughs) Somebody says, I am he to me, and all of a sudden, I'm looking up from my back, I might find a new crew to hang out with in a different activity. (laughs) I'm going to leave this guy alone. I don't know what just happened. Nope. No sense. Therefore, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you've given me. I lost no one. I want to make sure you catch that. Jesus says, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. So don't mess with these disciples of mine. I'm, I'm the one you want. Take me. And, and the reason I want to point that out is Jesus is... is not, the whole thing he's doing letting himself being arrested is for the good of others. But even as he's being arrested, you know, John 18 tells us, Peter drew his sword and started cutting ears. Jesus said, put your sword away. And healed the guys here. Jesus is concerned about others here. He he is the savior. The disciples are not the ones solving the problem. And I want to make sure when we when we think back to that David story, sometimes the way that's talked about is, yeah, you need to be strong and courageous like David. You need to you need to be brave and you need to kill all the giants in your life. Hold on, man. David is a picture of Jesus. If you want to put yourself in the David and Goliath story, you're hiding in the hills with the rest of the Israelite army. You need somebody that has something you don't to do something you can't do. David came in the anointing and the power of God to save everybody else. He's a forward pointing picture of Messiah. God anointed one to drop the giant. And if he hadn't, it would have been bad for all the rest of of the people of God. Jesus here is doing the same thing. We need a rescuer. Our confidence needs to be in the power of someone else. Christ. So what is the point? What I'm saying is, part of how, when David is making these declarations in Psalm 27, that there is no reason for fear, there is no reason for dread, immediately he pivots into remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. And so the second key I'm giving you to living a life free of fear is to remember God's faithfulness In the past, I'm saying to you, man, if if you have to write it down, if you need to journal, probably most of us do, the faithfulness of God in the past. Or as things are happening, we see answers to prayer. As things are happening, we see God moving on our behalf. We we have to keep those things in our minds and hearts because there will come a day when we need to reach back to them. As, As we look forward at this next lie saying, you're not gonna make it, you're gonna fail, be afraid. We reach back. We say God was faithful then, he will be faithful now. And I know for some of you, as I encourage you in that way, you would say, well, I, <clears throat> I can't think of a time God was faithful to me. And here, what I, if that's where you're at, I understand that that can be true. And so my encouragement to you would be either borrow from Scripture stories of God's faithfulness. If you can't think of a time God's actually been faithful to you in your life, first of all, I just want to say, you just haven't learned yet how to see God's faithfulness in your life. And that's what we need to pray for, is that God would help you to see his faithfulness in your life. But if you aren't there right now today, and you need help to fight against fear, reach to the scriptures and remember God's faithfulness. Remember the Red Sea. Remember Goliath falling on his back. Remember the stories of God's promises and faithfulness. Remember the cross, most of all, and know that God is faithful. And he always keeps his promises. And he is mighty and well able to help you. But you can also borrow... From the stories of others. There are people in my life, friends, family, people within the community of of faith, that I know stories of how God's been faithful to them, and sometimes I reach for their story when I'm trying to build myself up to to stand in boldness and confidence against the lies of the enemy. So there's nothing wrong with that either. But overall, the Lord has been faithful to you whether you see it today or not. And if you don't see it today, may it be a matter of prayer for you that God would help you to see it, it would be for your good, for sure. Let's look at verse three together. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. <clears throat> really, this, this, this whole series just illustrates exactly what, what I'm trying to encourage you to and what I think We're being shown here as a pattern for defeating fear. Verse two, he looks back to God's faithfulness. Verse three, now he's looking forward. Okay, God was faithful in this case. So if in the future a host would encamp all around me, my heart will not fear. If war would rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Verses two and three taken together are an incredible blueprint to help us see how it is one of these primary keys. The first one was to make sure our confidence is in, is in God, not in ourselves. The second is to remember God's faithfulness and then apply God's faithfulness in the past forward. If he was faithful then, why would I assume he won't be faithful now or in the future? I mean, David, David is so full of confidence in God, he's bringing up hypotheticals. Let me think of the worst case scenario. An entire encampment surrounds me. War breaks out against me. Guess what? I'm not I'm not going to fear. My heart's not going to be troubled because of him. Because I've been in in situations like that before, and he showed up. Even crazier situations. I don't know, like standing in front of a nine-foot giant pro-warrior, and I hit him with a rock in the forehead (laughs) because of God's anointing. I was able to save all of Israel. Amen. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. This is another, the next key I'm going to give you to living a life free of fear. Those of you that are note takers today, this is this probably be the sermon you'll be happiest with all year. Because I, normally I'm not this like outlined, but today's really outlined. So you note takers, thumbs up. I know you're, you're going to be really stoked. Yeah. <clears throat> this third key is having confidence in the Lord only helps us if we are close to him. That's, that's what we see in verses four through six. Okay, let's, let's read it. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I'm going to read another psalm just to I'm going to read you a part of Psalm 91. And the reason I'm going to do that is it just reinforces this idea in a different way that having having confidence in the Lord is dependent upon proximity. We, We need to be close to Him to be able to count on His protection and to be able to have this kind of holy boldness we're seeing exhibited in the first part of Psalm 27. Let me read just a portion of Psalm 91 to you. One who dwells What does dwell mean? That's where you live, correct? Isn't that what David started off in verse 4 saying? One thing I ask and seek, that that I could live in the house of the Lord. I could be with him all the time. One who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will lodge in the shadow of the Almighty. How close do you have to be to somebody to be in their shadow? Pretty close. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who rescues you from the net of the trapper and from the deadly plague, he will cover you with his pinions and his. And under his wings you may take refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and wall. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, of the plague that stalks in darkness or the destruction that devastates at noon. Being close to God. This is something as... As the psalmist is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's, I don't know that David knew he was writing this song and this prayer and that we would be able to come to it now many thousands of years later and see this, this blueprint for how to live lives free of fear. But, but it all connects. It all flows and makes a ton of sense. How am I going to be confident in God's protection if I don't have a desire to be near Him? I need to be near Him. And we're not talking about physical proximity god is everywhere we're talking about relationally we're talking about the fact that my confidence in god is is going to be shaken if i'm relationally disconnected from him i'm going to i'm going to be i'm going to lose even the, the that tendency for the first place i go when trouble comes to be confidence in him I'm gonna get back to that place where I'm scurrying and I'm trying to come up with solutions in my own strength. I'm back into that deception where as, as, as that ancient liar roars, I'm gonna be tempted to believe what he's saying about it and place my faith in his lies versus the truth that God has plainly revealed. That's a man. Have you ever, have you ever asked God, Lord, help me, help me dwell in your shadow? I mean, what part of one of the earliest things I remember the Lord revealing to me as I began studying Scripture, it came from this psalm. I thought about, okay, what does it mean if, I'm in the, if I live in the shadow of the Almighty? Part of what that means, and this is a prayer I've, I've continued my whole life, that means the Lord can, if I'm that close, if I'm in His shadow, that means the Lord can whisper and I can hear Him. I don't need Him to yell. I don't need Him to do something wild to get my attention. I can, I can, as, as soon as he says, son, yes, Father. And, and that's that's where I that's where I need to be. I know I need to be there. I don't know if you're convinced that that's where you need to be today, but I hope you get closer to being convinced of it. When he speaks, I want to hear. I don't want to miss a word. When he leads, I want to listen. I don't want to waste a minute doing my own foolish thing. I hope you don't either. Being close to God is a key. having holy boldness and being free from fear. One other thing I'll just mention quickly, and I'm only going to mention it quickly because it came up in Psalm 26, and we we talked about it for at least a few minutes. This idea, starting verse, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in his temple. Okay, there's there's all this proximity language. It's and at this point, you've got to remember, when he says temple, the only thing David could really be talking about is the tabernacle, which was basically a, a tent, which God had said, you know, put the Ark of the Covenant there, and that's where my presence will, will be in this kind of special way among my people. Here, here's the thing. <clears throat> if you were going to pray like this today, if you were going to pray something, Lord, Lord, help me to dwell in your house, that I may behold your beauty. What would that even mean? Here's what I'm asking. If you want to go to the house of the Lord, where do you go? Is, is there a temple or a tabern- tabernacle somewhere that you can, you can do a, a holy pilgrimage to? There's not, is there? The New Testament reality is, as again, Peter said, the people of God are living stones being fitted together that we are the house of God. So today, if you were to pray this prayer, Lord, let me dwell in your house. You, you would, what you would be asking is for God to help you stay connected to his people who are his house. I told you last week, I'm glad we have a facility that if it rains, we stay dry and we can kind of control the climate in here a little bit. That's nice. I'm glad I'm not sweating profusely right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, we could all stand up and go sit in the street and now God's house is in the street because the people of God are the house of God. And so the, the meaning of this prayer has even changed a little bit, but the importance of it and how much it ties to whether or not we're going to be enslaved to fear has not changed at all. This is part of why being connected in a, in a genuine way to the people of God, being a part of the church of God, is, is, it's just part of what it means to follow Jesus. Being separated, when, you know, when lions hunt, so, so let's go back to Peter and this lion moving around seeking whom he may devour. You know, one of the main things lions are looking for, they're looking for weak, sick, and separated animals. Okay. If they're hunting a pack of zebras, they're not, they're not going, is it a pack? No, it's probably a herd. I'll I'll watch more Nat Geo before next week and make sure I get that right. If if, if lions are hunting a herd of zebras, they're not, or, or even better, like Cape Buffalo or some animal that they know how to defend themselves. When they're close together, if you just run up in there and think you're going to grab a cape buffalo when all the rest of the cape buffalo are around, no, you're not. You're going to get horned in the ribs. That's what's going to happen. You're going to get kicked in the mouth. What, what, what lions are looking for is, is the ones that fell behind. They're, they're either sick or they're confused or something's happened, but if they get separated from the herd, that's the one the lion knows, oh, I can get that one. That's what they're going for. Okay, you can do with that what you want. You're not going to say amen to it, clearly. (laughs) But uh, maybe you can think about it later and decide, you know, what you think about it. Hallelujah. Let's look at verses 7 through 13. This, This next key to living free from fear is that we have to know, we have to know that we are in desperate daily need of God. And this comes through in these several verses. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. This thing, what, is, what is he saying? Lord, I need you. You've been, you've been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Basically, that just means in this life. You take the totality of of what you see in verses 7 through 13. What you hear is a man that part of why he is not a slave to fear is because he knows he is in desperate need of God. It ties back together with all of the rest. This is not a man that that carries around a bunch of self-confidence. This is the plea of somebody that knows. What did he say? Verse 13 is a good summary, basically, of all the, all the, the, the... the kind of cry of David's heart here, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I have one shot. That's, you, I'm going I'm to translate that. Here, here's the Pastor Vince translation. Don't buy it, okay? It's probably not that good. But here, here I'm going to give it to you. I only had one shot. I would have despaired if I would have not known for sure I would have seen the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord was the only chance I had. Your faithfulness was the only chance I had. And when you take that kind of knowledge of your need for God and couple it with the rest of what we've talked about, you have the recipe for being able to walk in freedom from fear and not have it rule your life. We need to know we are in desperate daily need of God. Last key, verse 14, learn to wait on the Lord. Here's verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, I know we said this in a recent sermon, but we're moving through the Psalms and and whatever it is that we encounter, if if it's repetitious, if if we're hitting themes that we may have already touched in the last several weeks, my assumption is the Lord knows we need to hear that again. So in a recent sermon, we, we talked about the fact that when, when, when the Bible talks about waiting on the Lord or waiting for the Lord, part of that is maybe the way we generally would conceptualize it. It, it is about trusting, waiting on God and trusting in his timing. That is part of what it means to wait on the Lord. Like. Lord, I'd, I really would like deliverance as opposed to struggling through this thing. I'd like you to fix this, Lord. Sometimes what waiting on the Lord means is, is knowing that if, if he hasn't changed the thing yet or if he hasn't brought deliverance, if he hasn't done what we're hoping he will do, either, either A, what we're hoping he will do is not actually the best thing for us. There, there's, a, there's a good humble realization to have. But also it may just not be the right time yet. The Lord knows not just what will help you, but when it will help you best. And we have to trust him about that. That's part of what it means. Trusting God's timing in waiting on the Lord. But, but also, waiting on the Lord is, is like <clears throat> waiting on him like a server waits on a customer. It's not just, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to walk in faith and wait on the Lord. So that means I, I'm doing this Only. I'm going to thumb twiddle and, and just, just wait for God to do something. It's, it's not just that. And you might be thinking, well, dude, are you sure? I don't know. I mean, wait on the Lord seems like, you know, wait. Listen, I'm, I'm saying, yes, yeah, some of it is, yeah, be silent, trust this timing, and, 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 and wait. But there is, what I'm trying to take apart is this idea that if us waiting on the Lord ever means, if you're a follower of Jesus, waiting on the Lord never means I'm just sitting there stationary doing nothing. Because there is a set of things that we should always be doing, even if we don't know exactly what to do next. There are commands God has given us. There is a mission that has been set before us. We can always be actively engaged in the mission of loving God and loving people, of making disciples, of sharing the gospel. We can, there, there, are, there are basic things that every single follower of Jesus is always supposed to be doing. And so you might be thinking, okay, man, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of being able to just sit down, rest a minute, and wait on the Lord. I just want to sit back and, you know, I I don't want to do a whole lot of stuff. Okay, well, maybe Isaiah can help us to see the duality of the idea of waiting on the Lord accurately. This is from the prophet Isaiah chapter 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator The ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. That's a rad word, isn't it? Write that one down. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. He increases power, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord, they will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Did you hear about all the activities that the people waiting on the Lord are doing? Did you catch that? Did it say, those who wait on the Lord will sit and hope only? Is that what it said? No, it did not. It said, they're going to gain new strength because their strength's coming from Him. They're going to mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. I raced a 13-year-old yesterday. I am not walking in that anointing yet. <laughs> it's a place for me to grow. I, I, I won by a hair, but I was very tired <laughs> at the end of the race, and it wasn't very far. They will walk, and they will not become weary. Waiting on the Lord is not this, this kind of flaccid, passive activity. Never. We may have to trust his timing. We may need to engage in the things we know we should always be doing as we wait further instruction or deliverance or something from the Lord, but we we never just sit there. For some of you, that's great news because you don't like to just sit there. For some of you, you're like, oh, dang it. I thought I was waiting on the Lord (laughs) with all this kind of passivity that I've been operating in. Well, today's, today's the day to get set free of that, friend. <clears throat> Amen. So, again, note takers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize this back up. because Here's the thing. The, the reason this is more outlined than normal, man, I'm really, the Spirit dealt with me about how important this idea of, of being free from fear is. I, I I am, I am hoping <clears throat> things are different after today for you in the fear department. Because there's a re- there- God is not a waster of words. There's a reason why the most numerically prevalent command in all the scriptures is fear not. It's not because God couldn't think of something else to say. It's because we need to hear that apparently many, 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 many times. So five keys from Psalm 27 to freedom from fear Confidence in God's strength and not our own. We saw that in verse 1. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past. We saw that in verse 2. And remember, if you can't think of God's faithfulness in your own past, borrow, his, borrow stories from Scripture. Borrow stories from others that, you, that, that have recognized God's faithfulness in their life. Cling to those. Remember and, and, and apply God's faithfulness to the past to the present and the future. The third key is cultivating closeness with God. You see, this desire in the psalmist, he knows, man. The quickest way to get back into the shackles of fear is to to move away from the God who provides hope and power. Uh, The fourth is knowing that there is no hope aside from him. Freedom from fear is going to be absolutely determined by how much we realize we need God. Freedom comes from him. And the last is learning to wait on the Lord. If We learn to wait on the Lord in a biblical sense. We'll we'll have a key to those shackles of freedom, those shackles of of fear and and getting to the place where we have freedom from that fear. Praise God. May, May it be true for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you uh, for Psalm 27. Thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you for uh, at, at least, I'm, I'm hoping at least a glimpse, I think for many, Lord, a full view of this, this path to freedom, this way out of the shackles of fear. Uh, Lord, we want to obey your command. We, we do not want to give the faith that you alone deserve to the enemy. That, that fork-tongued liar, that lion seeking whom he may devour. Lord, we don't, we don't want to uh, give him faith that you alone deserve. Help us not to live in fear, not to operate out of fear. Lord, please reveal to us by your Holy Spirit, where, where are the places that we have justified fear, where, where, where we've actually convince ourselves it's, it's, it's some kind of virtue, or where are the places where it's, it's been so hidden, it's been, it's been so present maybe for so long that we don't, we don't even catch it anymore. Lord, we're asking for your help because we want to obey that command to fear not. We know that that's not something you've commanded us just because uh, it makes you feel good. It's not about some kind of ego thing for you, Lord, that, that our faith is in you. It's, it's about freedom for us. You love us. We're your kids. And you hate to see the shackles of fear keeping us enslaved, held down, and unable to fulfill the potential you've put in us. So I thank you, Lord, for freedom. Please help us to take the wisdom of your word today and not just nod our heads. I pray, God, that people would not just walk out of here saying that, that, that was a mentally stimulating sermon. God, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to work into the soil of our hearts, the seeds of truth that you've given us today. And may there be a great harvest and a greater degree of freedom among your people. Help us put fear to death. Thank you that you've made that possible through Christ and his gospel. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies